0: You're listening to the Uncensored Direct Marketing Show. This show is designed for direct response marketers who want raw, unfiltered conversion tips and secrets to scale their offers profitably to reach their next million. I'm Maria Sparagas. I'm the founder of Direct Paynet and your host. Now let's dive in. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Uncensored Direct Marketing. My guest on today's show is Mr. Moneyfingers himself, Mr. Chris Haddad. Anyone writing copy has studied Chris's offers. He's written dozens of legendary sales letters in several niches, but found fame when he wrote a women's dating offer and appeared on the Rachel Ray show. I'm so humbled that Chris hopped on my show. He's lived the life of a couple of rock stars in one. His past has helped him be the best emotional storyteller of our generation. On this episode, Chris shares tips about how he hones in the emotional part of storytelling and what helps him target his audience's pain points. He also discusses what made him take the plunge from copywriter to offer owner. If you work in copy or any part of direct response, this episode is a must. And as usual, if you have any comments or questions for me or Chris, feel free to drop me a line on my website, mariasparagas.com. That's M-A-R-I-A s-p-a-r-a-g-i-s.com. If you want to hear more about Chris's story, head on over to his Facebook page where he has a link to his talk at last year's Copy Accelerator. I heard it live and I can attest to how truly inspiring it was to listen to. So be sure to have a listen after you listen to today's episode. I hope you enjoy. So thank you so much, uh, Chris Haddad, for being on my show today. Uh, so for all our listeners, we have a very special guest today. We have Chris Haddad, um, who has written the most legendary offers in the dating space um, and just in, in a lot of spaces, I should say. But uh, I don't want to steal your thunder away, Chris. So I just want you to give our audience a little intro about what you've done and some sure. of your offers.
1: You know, I had to write a bio the other day. Um, my, my team was asked me to write a biography about my career for um, when we're trying to get affiliates, promote some of our dating offers. I'm like, okay, I'll do this. So I wrote a page and a half or so. I'm like, man, I've done a lot of shit. Holy shit. I didn't even realize. Um, So yeah. So Chris, Mr. Moneyfingers, Hadad or Hadad is my uh, name. I used to be a freelancer about 10, 12 years ago. um, Got into marketing, direct marketing when I was 28 or so. Became kind of a bigger deal freelancer, you know, making 25, 50 grand a letter. I wrote... Letters for probably seven or eight ClickBank number ones. I did um, something for the Pimsler approach that ended up being like a letter that ran for almost ten years and did many, many millions of dollars worth of stuff. I've probably sold—it's—I've sold somewhere in the hundreds of millions of dollars worth of stuff with my copy over the years. Wow. And then back in 2010, I decided I was kind of sick of making everybody else really rich and decided to start doing my own offers. And I somehow ended up in the uh, relationship advice space. And I created this uh, character or alter ego named Michael Fury, which is my middle name, my mom's maiden name, and wrote something called Text the Romance Back and ended up on the Rachel Ray Show on Valentine's Day 2010. And then oh. built that into a business where we were doing probably $10, 11000000 million in sales a year for several years there. Uh, and then my life fell apart, which we can talk about. And uh, finally, uh, you know, got hit by a bunch of horrible things for several years. And then I'm kind of getting back into the game now properly and very, very happy I was able to get through the rougher times in my life due to the little wonders of internet marketing.
0: Well, I mean, that's, you know, I, I heard your story at Copy Accelerator in February, 2010, uh, 2010 2020. It felt like it yeah. feels like 10 years ago. But um, yeah. I mean, the the one thing that I loved hearing about is obviously all your success in copy and your offers and so forth. But sure. like you touched upon your your personal story and how it kind of got you to being where you are today. So mm-hmm. can you tell yeah. tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, what shaped you to, to be who you are today? I know you mentioned, you know, losing your father when you were quite young and your big car accident. It, yeah. um, so what were the, a couple yeah. of the, the things that really kind of got you to where you are today?
1: Uh, as far as the, the the tough things, let's see. Uh, my dad died when I was 19, which was really, really rough. I was not a popular kid. I was not a uh, confident kid. It's really funny. Uh, my wife and I were talking to a really old friend of mine from years ago, and she was t- and my friend was talking about how I was like painfully shy when I was younger, really oh, up wow. into my 20s or so. And my wife just fell down laughing because the idea of me being shy <laughs> at this point in my life is pretty hilarious. Um, But yeah, I grew up in Grafton, Massachusetts. Um, Had no idea what I wanted to do with myself, had incredibly low self-esteem. It turns out that was because of some mental health issues that I didn't know about for a very long time. Um, My dad died when I was 19 years old, which is painful every single day, even though it's been almost uh, 25, 30 years now. Ended up kind of moving to Los Angeles after college with this idea that I was going to be a screenwriter or a television writer or something like that. I spent two years in LA, figured out pretty quickly that I hated Los Angeles and did not want to live there for the rest of my life. Somehow ended up in Seattle. I was basically unemployed or, you know, temping for, I think, four or five years at that point, could not find a job, got fired from literally every job I ever had of any kind of any, any kind. And then I kind of stumbled into this direct marketing thing when I was in my mid to late 20s. At first, I was like, oh, my God, these long letters, who the hell reads these things? These are scams. It's all like junk mail on the internet. Oh, my God. And I was all moralistic about it for a while. And then eventually, I kind of got over myself. Uh, This guy, Harlan Kilstein, was running a, a little conference for copywriters to teach you how to uh, make more money as a copywriter uh, years and years ago. So I went to that and did what Harlan said and went from making thirty thousand dollars one year to doing almost two hundred grand the next year, which was pretty wow. fucking awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. That was great. Um, and then I worked as a freelance copywriter for several years. Oh, I forgot. I got in this horrible car wreck when I was like twenty six or so. So I was I was uh, coming back from a meeting on Mercer Island here in Seattle onto the I and the I ninety tunnel. I was merging into the I ninety tunnel, and I merged into a semi truck. Which was, yeah, I got dragged along about 50, 60 feet by the semi. I uh, spun around, I think once or twice. I had my leg locked out on the brake. My life did not flash before my eyes, but I had the thought in my head at the time, like, wow, my life should be flashing before my eyes right now. Shit. (laughs) And then I hit the wall at probably 50 or so. Like I said, I had my knee locked out. So I had a few tons of force go into my spine. Um, Ended up uh, functionally crippled for about three years at that point. I could barely walk. I spent a lot of days where I'd wait, you know, I barely slept for years. I spent a lot of days where I would wake up in the middle of the night and crawl my way to the bathroom, um, get up there, grab onto the sink, pull the sink and push myself up. And I'd look in the mirror and I was kind of shaped like a question mark with my hip all the way out like that. Um, eventually got surgery for that and got to a point where I could at least kind of function. I uh, got into direct marketing around the same time, ended up going to conferences. It's really funny because I was this, I was about 20 pounds heavier than I am now. So I was kind of this big, bearish, very angry, half crippled guy who was often <laughs> laying on the floor in the back of the conference, basically.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a nice description, but it was I pretty mean- good.
1: People were very scared of me for a long time. It's interesting. Um, they're not as scared now, or maybe they are. They just don't want to tell me anymore. They're but, scared um, of your,
0: the power of your copy. That's the power of my of. copy. <laughs> yes.
1: Um, so uh, yeah, I got into, got into direct marketing thing at that point. Ended up writing for a whole bunch of people in the industry. You know, when again, went from making 30 grand one year to making 200 grand the next year kind of got up to like 400 or so as a freelancer, did a bunch of things that made millions and millions of dollars for people and eventually decided it was like hey, I just I need to do my own damn thing at this point. So put out my first relationship offer that was called text your wife into bed, which was my first clickbank thing ever. And then uh, I was speaking at a conference that Jeff Walker was uh, having at one point at his product launch formula conference and I did a speech called launch offers that crush at that kind of thing and did pretty well. I'm good on stage. And afterwards, a PR agent named Amal Wagner came up to me and she said, I wanna put you on television. And I said, that's freaking cool. Put me on TV, did the whole uh, Rachel Ray thing, built that business, everything was going great. And then I got hit by Lyme disease really, really badly turns out I'd had Lyme disease for probably 20 years at that point, which was 20 years. I was, yeah. I think I got it when I got bit. I was a boy scout when I was in high school. So probably around when I was 12 to 14, I probably got bit by a tick. And then when I was 32 or so, it got bad enough that I was exhausted constantly. could barely get out of bed. I often, I often looked kind of gray. Like my skin was kind of gray for a really long time. I was very, 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 very angry for a really long time. Cause Lyme disease tends to do that to you. Oh, uh, yeah. Luckily. Yeah. Luckily at that point, my business was going along pretty, pretty well. I was making a couple million dollars a year personally at that point. And I was really lucky that I could get by with my team. I only really needed to write one or two VSLs a year and run a couple of launches and still make really, really good money. If that had not been true, if I'd still been a freelancer at that point, I'd be dead right now. I have no idea how I would have survived. I wouldn't have had enough money to go to Florida and get treatment. I wouldn't be able to keep the lights on. Um, it would have gotten really bad. I probably would have ended up either homeless or on my mom's basement or whatever. So I went through all of that, got the Lyme disease kind of under control, Uh, got out of my first marriage, which was a very, very bad marriage, married my current wife, who was absolutely fantastic. I was like, cool, great. I'm over the Lyme stuff. Finally, I never thought I was going to get over the Lyme stuff. I thought my life was over. Great. Start going forward. I'm like, now I'm going to get back into marketing. I'm going to like get back to the top and be the fucking amazing king of copywriting and all that kind of shit. This is going to be great. And then I lost my mind. Um, so I I ended up kind of spending a lot of time smoking a lot of weed in my basement. I ended up screaming at a lot of people in the streets. I became a very, very different version of myself. That went on for about two and a half or three years before my wife convinced me something was wrong. Eventually ended up getting help. And it turns out I'm bipolar and didn't know that for 39 years at that point. Oh. So about three and a half years, finally got a go, finally got diagnosed with bipolar two, which is uh, pretty brutal. It would explain why I was such an asshole to so many people, because you will hear, if you ask around in our industry, you will hear some incredible stories about what a dick I used to be. <laughs> and it's, they're all true. They are all absolutely true. Because between the Lyme disease, which makes you very, very angry, and the bipolar that makes you extremely narcissistic and it gets rid of all of your ability to feel empathy and all that kind of thing. And the tremendous success I had, which when you're narcissistic in the first place is like pushing you to the moon at that point, I was an arrogant fuck for a really, really long time. But I got um, diagnosed and medicated about three and a half years ago. It's taken a solid three years of adjusting the meds and uh, just doing the work, basically, to get to the point that I feel stable and like myself again. And I've only really been um, working again, I would say, uh, especially with our friend Julian, uh, over the last six months or so. But really, like the speech I gave at um, Copy Accelerator was, if I wasn't rich, I'd be dead. And I am not fabulously wealthy or anything like that, but I've I've done well. Um but if i wasn't lucky enough to have had that money coming in when i did i there's no way i'd be standing here right now there are many other universes in which i'm either dead or in jail or homeless right now so uh, even on my worst days and i try to kind of take a moment to step back and be like hey chris you're you're in a great place you're extremely lucky life is actually good
0: well i mean it's it's i think you know the good thing about or the good thing or your experience of have brought you to be the copywriter that you are today because I mean in terms of your copy I've read it um I know everybody in this in the industry studies it and you know you're you're the king of emotional storytelling so it must be obviously it's it's hard to be to get to that level of emotion if you haven't lived it I guess I mean you know it's Mm -hmm. you you've you've gone through all these different trenches and and these experiences and and diseases and and kind of getting better and that kind of has molded you to the copywriter that you are today so i you know, I think it, in the end, it, it all kind of works out everything, everything that happens to us, I think just in general works out and, and makes us better. You know, my parents yeah. had, uh, like terrible financial uh they just were bad with money they were immigrants they didn't know how to manage money Mm -hmm. and you know now I help people with their money (laughs) Mm -hmm. so you know that's that's what makes me good at helping people budget and and getting stuff back and um and working with their 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 funds so I guess it it brings us to where we need to go um but but talking about your offers just you know you you have a lot of these like dating kind of offers or text your how did you you know where did you pull that out from I'm just curious um like Where did you get that experience that you're able to talk to women, I guess, at that level?
1: (laughs) Um, let me see. So back in my 20s, when I was writing copy for other people, so like I used to be horrible with women, absolutely freaking horrible with women. I was terrified of women. I was like a lot of guys uh, when they're younger, particularly who think, oh my God, if women ever actually knew what I am thinking about doing to them in my head, they'd be terrified and horrified. It turns out they actually kind of like it if you do it right. But anyway, um, they'd be absolutely terrified and horrified. Um, so I ended up like, uh, as I went, I, I got into copywriting, was doing pretty well was writing some letters for people. I broke up with my girlfriend at the time and I was really kind of like single and dating for really the first time in my life because I was, again, horrible with women when I was in college. I had a girlfriend or two as that went on. Didn't date anybody while I was in LA because I was overwhelmed by self-doubt and self-loathing and low self-esteem. Moved to Seattle, had a girlfriend for like, four years, I think at that point, broke up with her, got another girlfriend right away, was finally kind of single and discovered that this whole copywriting thing had made me really, really good at texting people and sending like dirty messages essentially to women. Um, I'm still really good at it. I don't ask, asking people, but Asked my wife actually, but um, at one point I was uh, complaining about the fact that you know I was uh, busting my ass and writing letters for other people, and I was making a solid twenty to twenty-five grand a month, which is really good money. That's cool, yeah. but I had to work for it every time, right? Like every every month, I was starting from zero. I wasn't getting any kind of um, residuals or anything or royalties or anything like that. And I was talking to my buddy Mike Hill. Who I don't know if you know or not, but. Mike and I were chatting and I was saying, Oh, I should do like a texting program. And he said, Oh yeah, you should do something called text your wife into bed. So I was like, cool. Okay. So, uh, over the course of a couple of weeks, I just created this whole program called text your wife into bed, where I took a lot of my copywriting stuff, as well as the hypersexuality that I had from my bipolar and made a course out of it, did some hypnosis stuff in it, all this kind of stuff, put it on Clickbank, had no idea what I was doing, but, um, You know, at one point I went to bed one night and I woke up the next morning and I'd made $700 on ClickBank overnight. And I was so incredibly excited. I was like, oh my God, where did this money come from? This is magical. And that's what kind of led me to finally really focusing on my own offers and getting out of um, working for other people and being a freelancer. It's funny, all my friends in the copywriting world, a lot of them will be like, Chris, what advice do you have for freelancers? I'm like, stop being a freelancer. That's the advice I have for you as a freelancer. Man,
0: you're getting to my next question. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: Well, here's the thing, though. Like, I I sometimes, like, you know, I I have a deal with our friend Julian right now. I'm getting a bigger percentage of that than most copywriters would ever get, because I don't need to do that job, right? Like, I don't, you know, it's like being the, it's like you know, the guy who gets all the dates doesn't have any nervousness with women. You've got all the things you've got at that point. It makes you much more powerful. Doing your own offers makes you understand marketing at a much deeper level. I didn't know what EPCs really meant before that. I didn't know what a hop count was or open rates. All that stuff was totally foreign to me when I was just writing letters for people, but I'm pretty damn good at it now.
0: So I mean th- talking about that that's pretty interesting you know <laughs> you wrote your own uh, you you wrote your own offer you put it on clickbank yep. uh what were the 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 steps in between there like what were you like okay how do i get this from 700 to 5000 to 20000 and so forth like i know writing copy is obviously like probably the most important skill in this, yeah. in this- But like, how do you take that copy and then make it an offer and learn about DPCs and learn about your open rates? And like, what was your process? Did you get mentors? Did you just wing it? Or
1: You know, kind of. I I basically, you know, I had some really good mentors as a copywriter, like John Carlton and David Garfinkel and Harlan Kilstein and a bunch of other. Jeff Walker was a good friend of mine and a mentor of mine. I learned a lot about marketing and psychology and things like that from them. And then I put my first offer out, and that kind of got a little bit of traction going. And then I met Amal Wagner at Jeff Walker's conference. She said, I want to put you on television. said, what do you have that that you can go talk about? I said, oh, I've got text your wife into bed. She said, that's way too dirty. We can't do that. And then my assistant at the time was like, maybe we should do something called text the romance back. And moving into that women's niche is really where I uh, started to find success. I really like women. I understand women better than most men at this point in my life. Um, And honestly, at that point, it was just kind of holding on for the ride because I'm a very good copywriter. And when I entered the women's relationship niche, nobody was doing what I know how to do, right? Everybody in the niche in the entire relationship niche at that point was really just copying Evan Pagan's David D'Angelo stuff, right? And that's great. You know, Craig Clemens wrote a lot of those things. Craig's amazing. He's a friend of mine. I love the guy. Um, But it was just the same freaking thing over and over again. Everything looked the same. They really weren't using VSLs, any of that kind of stuff. So I came in and used a lot of what I had learned in the IM niche particularly, which is pretty hardcore as far as marketing goes, and applied that to writing video sales letters and putting them out. And I got EPCs, uh, earnings per click, that were often two or three or four times as good as anything else that was being put out at that point. Like my buddy Mark Ling said that he was used to getting like 50 cents a click on an offer, and he made $3 on one of mine the first time he promoted it. Wow. I didn't really, because I had a reputation as a copywriter, um, and because my stuff converted really well, I didn't really have to worry about traffic for a really long time. Right? As soon as people started getting a feeling for that, my stuff got out there. Then I did the Rachel Ray thing. I became famous as Michael Fury, which was a big deal in our industry because nobody really does that. Yeah. Um, And so for a long time, I just kind of uh, once or twice a year, I would write a product and I would put out a VSL and I would just run kind of a launch contest. I wouldn't just do a launch where you take it off the market, I just run a contest to get it going. Um, you know, sell two, three, four, five, six, eight, ten thousand 10,000 units in the first week or so. Wow. That would get us enough of a uh, gravity on ClickBank that all, all of a sudden people would see the offer, they would try it out, it would convert better than most things, and then the money just kind of kept coming in. And so we were very, very affiliate focused for the first six, seven years of our business. It was great in a lot of ways, but it was a problem too, because we had no control, basically. Yeah, over whether we had traffic or not made a lot of money. And that was great, but really very, very, very little control. So it was only, you know, five, six years ago, um, while I was going through a lot of my mental health issues and other health issues that we were like, Hey, we really need to kind of take a step back and figure out how this paid traffic thing works. And it's it's taken us several years to kind of get even reasonably good at that. And I will say the women's relationship niche now is just not as easy to make money in as it once was. Um, we do we do fine. It's paid my bills for you know quite a few years now. I barely worked for the last several years, and so was able to you know afford my house and all those things. But um, it's been a little bit rougher. And I, you know I, I got spoiled in so many ways, right? Because for the longest time, every single thing I did was a home run, right? was amazing. Five years. <laughs> I fucking yeah, love it. Like <laughs> I think I had one or two things that didn't really go, but it wasn't that big of a deal. But Overall, every single thing I did was like a top 10 ClickBank offer for several years, right? Like just had the money coming in. I became really, really arrogant about it because again, mental health issues. And then when that stopped being true, where I couldn't just launch a product and have all the money coming in, I had no idea what to do. And because I was in a mental health crisis at the time, I I got really depressed about it and all that kind of thing. But um, yeah, you know, I always tell people like, you can only really be world-class at one thing in this business right? Yeah. Like I'm world-class at copywriting, but I'm not very good at traffic. I I suck at managing people. I don't manage people in my company. My employee, uh, Mike does, and he's really, really good at it. Okay. I always just say, you got to, you got to figure out what you can be a superstar at and focus on that and not worry so much about the other stuff and not try to do everything on your own. Yeah. Build a team, basically yeah. build a team for,
0: that's, that's interesting. And eventually
1: I'm, a member of your team will screw you over and you'll learn that <laughs> lesson and you'll lose a bunch of money. And what happens, you maybe you've had this happen. You always have that team member who is with you. Uh, when things start going really well. And that's great. And you're paying them pretty well. And that's great. But they start thinking they're the one that is making all the money come in and they start getting greedy. And maybe they start sabotaging you a little bit behind their back, behind your back, because they feel jealous in all these ways. And then eventually that blows up on your face and you, you learn all the things that was going on when you weren't paying attention and we're really sick in Florida. If you're really sick in Florida, they say.
0: Sounds like a personal experience, but Mm. I mean, it's, it's true. It happens all the time and you, you, but every lesson, and now, I mean, you're working with Julian and you're working with his team and I'm actually curious.
1: So good. Yeah.
0: I'm curious. Are you writing the copy or is Julian writing the copy and how are you guys collaborating together? I mean, you guys are both like masters at your craft. How are you finding, you know, common
1: road? It's freaking awesome. It's so much fun because I'm so used to being kind of a lone wolf as far as the marketing stuff goes. I have a great team team, but I'm really the only like marketer on the team. Um, You know, Mike who runs the company has learned quite a bit over the years, but as far as coming up with the ideas and understanding the selling psychology and stuff, I'm very, very good at it. So when Julian and uh, Andrew, his partner came to me and said, Hey, let's do an offer together. The exciting thing for me was to be like, Oh, I don't have to be the only person coming up with the ideas. So the way we work together is like, we get we're getting on the horn uh, tomorrow to talk about a new offer we're going to be doing. And we just kind of talk to each other and do research and figure out what our hook is going to be, figure out what our big idea is going to be. Then I go off and write the actual letter or at least the draft of the letter um, then we all kind of, we go through the letter like four or five times, word for word, figuring out what we can improve, what we can change. Uh, we'll all write leads for it that we can kind of test. That's a little bit of a competition there, but it's really, it's collaborative in a way I've never really worked before. And man, I really like it. It's so nice not to have have all of the pressure on yourself. And what I love about those guys is they are so data-driven and they have such an amazing team yeah. and they know how to run traffic in a way that I personally don't. That I mean, we're planning on just starting a whole company, the three of us at this point, because what I bring to the table is the creativity and the ideas and the ability to hit people's emotions really powerfully. Yeah. Um, And they bring, you know, Andrew particularly brings a lot of the research ideas and things like that. Julian's fantastic at what he does. It really feels like being a pretty awesome band at this point.
0: Well, I was going to say, you guys should start like a, like a reality TV show, like literally just put some cameras in the room or as you, as you're talking, record the zoom call and let's, let's all hear what you guys like the process, you, Andrew and Julia just kind of creating um copy. Are it's, you a either- lot of, it's
1: a lot of swearing. I got to say it's more, <laughs> um, uh, it's more locker room talk than I've been able to enjoy. I'm from Massachusetts originally a very, uh, you know, kind of a man's got to be a man kind of place. And it's nice to be able to just kind of like be with the boys in a way way that I haven't in a long time. But it's it's really really. fun. It's really fun.
0: Uh, The first time I met Julian uh, was a long time ago, maybe like eight, nine years ago or something like that. And uh, I was ordering drinks at a bar in San Diego and, and we had just met, we were working together for like a year and I turned around and he was doing pirouettes, just like really beautiful pirouettes. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? I was like, no, because <laughs> he's so unexpected, you know? <laughs> like, oh my I God. was like, I why are you doing this?
1: <laughs> yeah. When I first met Julian, I was like, who is this dick, right? Like, he, you know, <laughs> we, we were at some um, seduction syndicate mastermind in San Diego, probably at TNC or something. And he's sitting there on his computer and there was like porn on his screen while we're sitting there. But then later we got on, on Skype a few times and it turns out we both have a theater background, right? Like he, he went to school as an actor and can sing and all those things. And mine was much more in um, uh, writing. You know, I come from a theatrical and dramatic writing background, which is probably why I was able to take all of that stuff around storytelling and apply it to marketing in a way most people can't.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, talking about storytelling and 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 copywriting and so forth, this is maybe you know, this is just your personal opinion, but. Do you find that your copy now has become, or just copy in general, has become more ethical or different in the last 10 years like versus when you first started? I know that you know compliance now is such a huge thing. How has that changed your process and how you write copy?
1: I mean, it's different in some ways. I will say um, I kind of went away for a while, right? When I got really sick, there were like five years I really wasn't in the business. And when I came back, I was so shocked that people still knew who I was right? It was such a strange thing to like go to conferences and be treated like a rock star. And I'm like, I haven't done anything in all these this time. Um, I will say, I mean, some of it's become more ethical, but you still see people out there who are doing churn and burn stuff and who are just using kind of hardcore uh, direct marketing, sending out spam emails, stuff like that. But you can't hide as much as you could in the past anymore, yeah. right? Um, you have to be much more careful, especially if you're in the health niche, you have to be very, very careful. I have one friend who I saw that he was running some offers recently that I'm like, you are making claims that are going to get you thrown in jail. Like there's no, if if the, if the eye of Sauron ever looks in your direction, you're absolutely screwed. And also from an ethical standpoint, I'm like, you can't say you're going to cure these diseases. Like, no, no, no. (laughs) You just can't like, I, 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 this is, this is a horrible thing to do. Um, I don't know. I mean, So like the stories that I tell in my copy, they're based on things that happen to actual people, right? But obviously it's not word for word what actually happened at all. I always say they're kind of based on a true story as opposed to actually a true story because drama is the thing. You need to be able to entertain people in your copy and bring them in. And what I'm going for more than anything when I write a, a letter is the emotional truth of the situation right? Um, really keying into those insecurities that people have and those fears that people have. Um, you know, that for men, it's always a fear of kind of losing dominance and losing power. For women, it's often the feeling of just not being good enough at anything because our society is so incredibly mean to women. All Maybe you know something about this. I don't, I don't know. Maybe you've heard about it before. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think it's moving in a more ethical direction in, in a lot of ways, but there's always going to be people that there's going to be cowboys on the outskirts doing whatever they can. I like when there's rules, personally, right? Like yeah. I know that if there are rules and they are applied, that I can win, right? I know I can. If and an even playing around, if you put me against pretty much anybody else in the world. If I do the work with people I know how to work with, we're gonna we're gonna win. The hard part is when you're trying to do something right, and then you're competing with people who are doing everything in the least ethical way possible, because. You know, direct marketing when you're buying your own traffic is a knife fight. Like you know this, right? Yes, yes. Like the margins are not high, and you know, getting a you know a, a 0.2% conversion rate increase can be the difference between making 100 million dollars and making nothing. Because yes. that's just the way the numbers kind of end up stacking up. So, um, I don't know. It can be a tough thing. It's a, you know, I always tell people they have to kind of figure out where your ethical line is because there's no such thing as selling without taking a little bit of liberty or a little bit of drama and injecting it into into what you're doing.
0: For sure. And I mean, just talking about uh, you know, the cost of traffic and and how cutthroat it is. Um, I was working with Julian in in 2011, 2012 for his dating offers. That's actually how we met. Mm -hmm. And um, that industry, the you know, how to get a girlfriend, it was more geared towards men versus women. I I didn't see that many that were, you know, you're you're one of the only that I know that that really took that women's market. We
1: made so much more money than a lot of those guys. Yeah, wow.
0: I was focused on the wrong market then.
1: (laughs) We still have (laughs) men's offers that do pretty well, but like as soon as we figured out that we could make money in the women's niche. Plus also, as you know, for the men's niche, the way you sell it is you're going to turn women into sex zombies who crawl across the floor and rip off your pants and worship your cock and blah, 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 which I just got bored of it really. Right. Like I, I'm like, I just didn't want to say that stuff for women. It's much more about romance and about, um, uh, you know, feeling like a man wants you and only you and having the guy that can have any woman. I always tell people, men, like if they want to understand women, just, just go read romance novels. It'll explain pretty much everything about what women actually like from a sexual standpoint. It's actually not that confusing guys. Yeah. Um, there's a reason they all like 50 shades of gray. <laughs> um, yeah, but I really just found that I enjoyed the women's niche more and I, I just really like women. I would say in, in my life, um, most of my closest friends have been women. I didn't really learn how to be friends with guys, guys, until I got into marketing and had to go to the bar and bullshit with guys because they just didn't make sense to me before that.
0: That's really funny because my most of my friends are men. Mm-hmm. I, I just I find uh I, I have a harder time making female friends. Every time I go to these conferences, I, I tend to gravitate towards the male tables and we talk about copy and traffic and, and and money and stuff like that. And then uh I when I go to the women's table, I'm like, I don't know what to talk about. I, I feel yeah. I feel like really out of place. But yeah, that's yeah. really funny. But well
1: it's weird because people see me as this incredibly masculine figure, right? Like people tell me this. I'm 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 you know, six one, pretty muscular. I've got like body hair everywhere. I've got kind of a <laughs> kind of like a dominant you know, bearing to me, whatever, but I don't see myself that way at all. I I feel like I'm very in touch with my feminine side. I'm often just dancing around, like, like you saw Julian doing pirouettes. I'm often (laughs) like doing stretches in the corner and dancing around. People say that that just to them, that just like, denotes confidence because I just don't really care what people think of me at this, at this point in life. But
0: yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting. And it's interesting also um, that you went for the women's niche and, but Mm -hmm. that whole industry, just by the way, and, and just your thoughts, I know that I was working with a lot of the the male dating coaches. Um, yeah. and they almost like cannibalized themselves because yeah. it, it became so expensive to have affiliates and it became that industry just like for me at least, because I was on the processing end of it. Um, I saw like, you know, we had, you know, we, you had the Vin Carlos and the David D'Angelos and then yeah. Julian's and all this. And then they all kind of went away because they were all competing. So hard with each other that nobody could actually afford these offers anymore. And then the industry just went splat. Like in like 2013, yep. 2014, it just there was just traffic's too expensive, couldn't continue. But uh, I mean, I feel like lately there's been a revival. I mean, I know that some of my older clients that had offers, you know, in 2011, 2012 are coming back with dating offers. Are you seeing the oh, same yeah. thing? Or are
1: you? Uh... You know, I haven't really been involved in the men's side of things in a really long time. You know, I'm on the like Seduction Syndicate email list, but I haven't, yeah. I literally haven't looked at it in four years. Like I get, <laughs> I get, I get the uh, the digest every day, and I just can't bring myself to actually read through it. When I, when I did actually write a note, um, when I, when I got diagnosed bipolar, I wrote a note to that email list saying, Oh my God, guys, I'm so sorry. I was such an asshole for so long. Cause I actually felt <laughs> really, really bad about it besides that I haven't even looked at it. So I would love to do some more stuff in the men's niche. If I could do it in a way where I actually enjoyed it, I could believe in, excuse me, could believe in the product and not have it just to be about hypnotize women with your penis. Like if it could be about something more. Uh, Women actually regularly, um, when I'm at conferences talking to women, because I'm I'm good with women, I'm often surrounded and talking to women at these things, guys come up to me and they say, are you a pickup artist or something? I'm like, no, I just actually really like women. That's the secret. I actually really, really like who they are. And women are often like, oh, Chris, could you write a product as Michael Fury that teaches men how to be better men? And I'm like, yeah, but I can't sell it. Oh right? wow! Okay, like, like it's not—they don't want to buy that, but they, they just fundamentally, even though a lot of guys, what they really want in that niche is to find a girlfriend. For whatever reason, what sells is that overwhelming kind of um, have all the women you want thing. Excuse me for yeah, time. of course. <laughs> wow.
0: There, well, there, there is one product. There's a there's a Christian Hudson's or a, oh yeah yeah. I know there's a how to how to uh, what is a girlfriend activation system. Yeah yeah. Yeah, that was, see that, that, that in 2012, I, I followed that niche. So, so that much. Was a good, that was a good offer. Yeah, it was different. I think
1: they're still promoting yeah,
0: yeah, yeah mm-hmm. no, they're still promoting. And uh, it's, it's actually, it's the one offer that was very different from all the others. Yep. Um, and and I, I'm curious to know, in in your opinion, what is it, you know, why do men, for example, we're, we're talking about copy, but we're going into this men and, and, sure, and yeah. women relationship. Oh, dude, I, I'm, can I'm talk about this, I can
1: talk about this stuff all day. You, <laughs> but, you would be surprised how many men in our industry call me for dating advice by
0: the way. Well, no, I, I wouldn't <laughs> be actually because I think a lot of them need it. <laughs> yeah, like, As really do. As a woman in the industry, yeah. I sometimes uh I especially been these at really the other rich end. guys, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The really rich guys who are like I'm really rich but I can't find a girlfriend. I'm like, yeah, because all these women know you're rich and you're not doing anything else to make yourself interesting. But
0: yeah. You know, but what what do you think? like what speaks to men as a product? Like, cause you've, you've spoken to men and you've spoken to women. What, like, what's a product that speaks to men that, you know, like for me as a woman, when I saw those products, like, Hey, learn how to fuck her or like, whatever it's like, why would anybody like looking for anything as a relationship want to buy this type of product and who, you know, who are these three women on this planet that would, you know, that would go for a guy that's like looking for this type of product.
1: Well, you know, for, a lot of it to me goes back to like evolutionary psychology. Same thing with like when I'm doing women's offers, uh, the, the things that work are the things that have worked a hundred years ago. Uh, okay. It's not, I had somebody telling me, I, I have this video that's on YouTube that people watch. Uh, there's a couple hundred thousand views on it. And people write me on Facebook and say, Oh dude, I watched your video. It's from when I was at Zentrapreneur years ago. And I gave this thing called um, seven stupid, eight stupid tricks of copywriting or something like that. And in it, I gave a lot of examples about like, how to get men and women emotionally involved. I had written a letter at the time called Power for Home that was a ClickBank uh, number one for like two years or something like that. And my client, Chris Fox, when he came to me, he had this letter, it was doing okay. And he offered me a piece of the offer, uh, a small percentage of the offer in exchange for rewriting it. I rewrote it in a day and a half, basically put it out. And we increased conversions by 80%, like overnight, basically, right? Wow. And the way I did that, was by making it by, by making it about a story, like it went from being about here's how you can save money on your power to about a guy who was protecting his family, basically, like protecting his family from uh, you know being at the the mercy of basically of the power companies and America's crumbling power grid and all that stuff. And there's a line in there. Uh, where the story starts, where it goes something along the lines of like, if you're a man or even or even just have a heart, I know you can imagine the terror and the shame that I felt when my beautiful five-year-old daughter walked into the room, her lips almost blue and said, Daddy, I'm cold, right? Oh, boy. Like, and you know, the, the guy, the electrician we're talking about was like 50, he has kids, I wasn't 50, I don't have kids even now, but for guys, that primal feeling of wanting to protect your family and protect the women in your life, protect the people in your life is just there, right? From an evolutionary yeah, sure. psychology standpoint, it's just there. So, and for women, it's often about being good enough. It's about having the man desire you and only you forever. Um, it's really interesting. Cause like men will say like, I'm a nice guy. Why does she want me? I'm like, women don't want nice guys. That's not what women want. Women want guys who are nice to them. That's yeah. the important part, but they want, women want a warrior. They want somebody who like my wife likes the fact that I can be an asshole when necessary. If anybody's fucking with her, like, she, it's always funny. She always, she's always like, Chris, you know, honey, I can handle my own stuff. I'm like, cool. And I'm like, cool, baby. That's great. But when I do step over the line, cause I'm just, I get too pissed off at somebody fucking with her in some way later. She's like, I told you not to do that. I'm really mad, but man, that was hot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I think it's just about like, oh yeah. in the video, the video I was talking about on YouTube, people say like, oh man, what you're talking about with these, these stories about men, like protecting women and doing that, that's super sexist and whatever, i misogynistic. I'm like, no, it's not. It's just what works from a marketing standpoint. Like, Like for me, I'm like, I don't want to live in fantasy land about what works. When you're in marketing, you find out what works because it's your money on the line and you're putting it out there and you see if it converts or not. And what converts for me is really understanding on a very deep level, that kind of primal feelings that men and women have.
0: How do you I mean you just talked about having a 50-year-old uh you know, man and, and how do you find these stories? Like like the mechanics of it. Do you research like a site in particular? Do you read a lot of magazines? Like what what would one have to do to kind of really get into the the the, the emotional part of a story like?
1: I think it's just about understanding people more than anything else. I do read a lot. I used to read more, but I read a lot. I read a lot of books about psychology. I read a lot of fiction books. Um, And I've always just been really interested in people. And part of that I think is the bipolar thing, right? So when you're bipolar, you feel emotions very, very powerfully. But when you're triggered in some way, when you're hypomanic, you have like no empathy right? No empathy whatsoever. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. And when I was in those States, I kind of had to like, like people almost become kind of alien to you at a certain point. So you have to kind of study them from a remove in a weird sort of way. And I think that gives you more insight into people. I've heard psycho, I've heard psychopaths do the same thing, but I'm not a psychopath. (laughs) I have checked many times. Um, But the stories, I mean, I have that bit I do when I give speeches sometimes called you're not special and that's awesome. Right. You're not special because um, a lot of people, they walk around and they're terrified to be vulnerable and they're terrified to talk about, oh, they have a mental health issue or yeah. they were abused when they were a kid or they had this horrible, um, you know, horrible divorce or they have a, a, a spouse who is gaslighting them constantly or whatever or they're gay or whatever, whatever all this kind of stuff is. And people are terrified of it. And I remember going to a mastermind, a friend of mine did um, six years ago or so. And I was speaking and, um, I'm kind of known in our industry for like, I don't really do small talk. I'm just not good at it. I, yeah. If I'm going to sit there and talk to somebody. I tend to go pretty deep pretty quickly. Cause that's what I'm personally kind of interested in. Yeah. And because I'm very open about my own stuff, people are generally very open with me and they'll t- tell me things they wouldn't necessarily tell anybody else. And so over the course of like two days before I spoke, I talked to pretty much everybody, 30 people at this mastermind got to know them was a good time. I went up and spoke. And during that, I was like, listen, That, you know, there's people in this room, I know, we're abused as kids. There's people in this room who have gone through all these horrible things, had these diseases, had this other stuff. You're surrounded by people who went through the same fucking thing, right? The same fucking thing or something very, very similar. And so the way I kind of wrote copy, we talked about my own tragedies before, right? The things that I've gone through. I just take the emotions that I have from all of that stuff and think about, okay, if I was a 50 year old man who had a daughter who was really cold, what would that feel like to me? I also have a little bit of an acting background. So I'm sure that's part of it as well. But, you know, you have the emotions in you. You have the, the um, insecurities. You have the fears. Nobody is as cool as they seem to be when you see them on stage for or anything sure. like that. Everybody's faking it. Everybody is full of self-doubt. Everybody ha- Everybody in our industry, you know, this has the imposter complex up the wazoo, except for the sociopaths like Jordan Belfort, but the rest <laughs> of them do. And I think it's just about like getting to know yourself and getting to know people and to love people the way they are. I, I used to always say like worship reality right? For yeah. me, uh, some people will say that I'm cynical. I don't think I'm cynical at all. I just try to see the world with as many clear eyes as I can, with the, the most wide open, clear eyes as I can. Sometimes that just means I look at things and say, wow, we're we're kind of fucked as a species because we are. I don't think that's cynical or even pessimistic. I just think it's kind of true at this point.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess I, we'll see how humanity evolves and, but, and well, actually, yeah. um, yeah, talking about where we're evolving. I know this is completely off the rails, but I saw something um, that I'm curious about your thoughts on, and this sure. is kind of going into the mechanics of a business and and uh, understanding a little bit more about copywriting. But um, the whole AI copywriting, these new tools that are coming out. I mean, obviously like you're such a great storyteller and emotional and your experiences have gotten there as, as, as business owners are now assessing like AI, what, like, have you tested any, or have you like, what are your thoughts on AI copywriting?
1: You know, I haven't tested it yet. I saw a bunch of friends of mine posting on Facebook about um, some AI offer the other day. It was really funny to me because they all they were all using the exact same swipe for their Facebook post. Okay. So I'm like, oh, golly, this seems familiar in some way.'re you're, you're telling me that you've been you've been skeptical about AI in the past, but you tried this new program, and I'm like, it seems a little bit familiar. You know, I don't really know. Um, I'm sure at some point in the future, AI will be writing amazing copy. That'll probably be after I'm dead or retired. I'm not personally scared of it because I'm not um, selling copy for a living, right? For sure. Like I'm coming up with the ideas and I know that they're just, AI is a really long way from being able to do what I personally know how to do from an emotional standpoint. Yeah. I'll be really interested to see what happens. I know it's not there yet. I don't think it's going to be there for quite a few years. I think it probably could be useful for coming up with ideas, giving you potential angles for storylines, stuff like that. But I think ads are
0: like shorter form kind of stuff, like an ad or, or yeah, totally. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure about a sales, a full on sales letter, but I'm sure it could give you something that you could go through and rewrite parts of it. You know, like we, we hire copywriters in my business sometimes just to come up with hooks and angles. Cause like I've been doing this for a long time yeah, and I've, I've tried a whole lot of hooks and angles and I'm kind of burned out on coming up with them. So we'll hire a copywriter to say, Hey, come up with a couple of uh, yes, we did this recently. Somebody came up with a couple of ideas for uh, YouTube ads. They wrote their version of the ad. I rewrote 90% of what they had, but it was still worth it to me to pay them come up with that, that uh-huh. little bit where I'm like, Oh yeah, I never really thought about this particular angle. And it got my brain going in a direction. I think I will probably be able to do something like that.
0: How do you, you just said, you know, you hired a cop. How do you hire a copywriter? What do you look for in a copywriter? Like what, um, what, what's the big, like, okay, this is the guy we got to choose.
1: For me, it's emotion more than anything else in writing ability. A lot of copywriters are really stilted and a lot of people don't really know. They're just kind of painting my numbers, right? I did a consult for a buddy of mine the other day. I charged like $3,000, get on the phone for an hour and say, let's talk about things. And I was telling him like, dude, this is a paint by numbers letter. You took research, you took a couple other things and you just kind of said, we have to have these things, but there's no idea there. Um. There's no, there's no through line. There's no emotional through line. It's not about anything. You're just kind of trying to push the buttons in people's heads in a certain way to sell something. But what really works is you have to have that, an idea. You have to have something that feels different and something that feels true to them. Um, so I'm also looking for people that know how to write, who have a little bit of a background. And oftentimes, you know, we just try people out at this point. We'll pay them a little bit of money to see what happens. We okay. have somebody who, actually we have somebody who we're going to hire right now. And she's somebody I'd known. She used to work at ClickBank. And she uh, sent some samples to Mike who runs my company. He's something to me. I looked at them. And the reason I was excited about her was because the first offer she had, uh, the first email that she sent us was something, about, I forget what the offer was, but it was around the idea of like, why you're trying to be a great mother is hurting your kids, right? Wow, like something okay. around that idea. Why, like Why what your instincts are telling you what to do is actually hurting your kids in some way. And I'm like, okay, she gets it. Right. She gets the idea of you have to punch people in the gut a little bit, you know, twist the knife a little bit in order to get their, um get them to get, get into their insecurities in some way. So I'm looking for people that understand the emotions of people more than anything else and who hopefully can actually write as well.
0: Well, I have to say f- firsthand, mom guilt is real. it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's it, it, all of my friends. I'm, I'm, I have a, a toddler and, uh, you know, anything you do as a mom, you're always like, man, I should have done this or, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm screwing at my kid if I do this or if I, so, so yeah, it, that's it's so
1: a, unfair. It's so it unfair. Cause is. men don't get that. We just don't get that. Like we don't get the same level. I don't, I don't have any kids. I'm not going to have kids, but I have a wonderful nephew and he, uh, has a small amount of Asperger's kind of stuff. And his mom, who's lovely, who's a great mom, beat herself up for years, right? Yeah. About like, what did I do when he was in the womb that was wrong that caused this? Like, yeah. like, then that's just a feeling that it's so hard for women to let go of that. I think it's easier for men in some way. It's really, again, like, women have it rough in our, in our culture. You know, I, I hate when people are like, oh, sexism is not a thing anymore. I'm like, have you seen the world? Yeah. That people, that's like people saying race, you know, there's people that say racism yeah. doesn't, doesn't exist in America. That's I'm like, fucking ridiculous. you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, I'm half Lebanese. I'm a white guy, but I'm half Lebanese. I've experienced racism in America and I'm a, a big, tall, reasonably well off <laughs> white guy. <laughs> like what the
0: hell? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's ignorance. I mean, to, to, yeah. to get to this point of, in, in, society, not be able to at least just admit what you see out there. Not, not necessarily agree with it, but just admit that it's out there. So but here's
1: the thing, here's the copywriting lesson. Here's the marketing lesson. You want to sell stuff. Why do they feel that way? And more importantly, why do they want to feel that way? Like, why do they want to believe that? Why do they want? What what is the danger the danger to them psychologically to admitting there is racism? What would that actually cause for them? It's like, um, uh, you know, Bill Cosby, right? Bill Cosby, horrible person, right? We grew yeah. up, we thought he was a great guy. It turns out he's a horrible person. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Cosby's wife, right? She will never, ever, for the rest of her life, ever have a concept in her brain that all of this might be true, ever, right? You could show her all the advanced all the um all the, uh, the actual evidence in the world, you could have the, like, you know, pictures, you could have videos psychologically for her to be able to say, Oh my God, I spent 50 years with a yeah. rapist. Right. Mm-hmm. Like she, there's no way her brain is going to allow her to do that because it would destroy her as a human being. For and sure. I think understanding that kind of thing, understanding the, um, And understand, like understanding, you know, I'm I'm not a big fan of Trump, weirdly enough, but understanding why like people that I grew up with in Grafton, Massachusetts became really big Trump fans. My dad would have too, if he was still alive, understanding that is where you kind of get into the real uh, ideas that you can use in your marketing and your copy.
0: Well, I mean, it's, it's, if you right now, the, the way that you're talking, I'm in awe, you are definitely uh, a, a master of your craft, I could tell just by talking to you for this, like 45, 50 minutes. Uh, but you know, it seems to me like, you're, you know, it's not just your life experience. Like, did you ever get any training in like psychology or something? Because it seems like, you're a bit of a psychologist. You can really read people really well. I mean, your life stories, it it, it kind of brought you to this place, but yeah, it, I, there's always a lot me. of psychology yeah. There um, is, yeah. It's, a, it. it's
1: just what I'm personally interested in more, more than anything else. It's funny. I've had people that are like NLP practitioners, like really high level ones, read my copy and be like, oh, you're really good at NLP. I'm like, I've never studied NLP. It's just like kind <laughs> of Learned how this stuff works. I learned a little bit about hypnosis when I was younger, and I'm sure I use that. But I think it's just being curious about people. And for me, a lot of it was just being curious about myself and about like, why was it so hard for me to make friends when I was younger? Why was it so hard for me to engage with people? If you met me six, seven years ago, I was often just very aloof or whatnot. I was often in the corner, just like in my head all all the time. And so I just really kind of put a study into understanding how to actually talk to people and how to understand people. Now that I'm not nearly as mentally ill, it's a lot easier.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Well, Chris, I am very humbled by this opportunity to speak to you and take an hour of your day. Uh, This was super fun and and, uh, informative for all our listeners. Um, Do you have any last thoughts or anything you want to share with our audience?
1: I'm not really, if you want to watch the uh, the video that um, um, Maria and I were talking about from Copy Accelerator, if you go to uh, facebook.com forward slash Hadad H-A-D-D-A-D, and go to my videos, you can actually find the whole speech there. Uh, it's awesome. pretty interesting stuff. I think I've left it public, so uh, it's awesome. fine.
0: Yeah. Well, I will put that in the show notes for everybody. Thank you so much, Chris, for all your time. Uh, and I'm actually really, really looking forward to to seeing the copy and the offer that you, Julian and Andrew put out. So I, I'm excited hope, about it. I'm excited yeah. about it. the name, I'm, the
1: name of the product. I, when we came up with the name of the product, which I'm not going to mention here. Um, I was just we going to say,
0: what is it? <laughs> yeah. I'll tell
1: you off the offline. We came up with the name of the product. We were like, this is going to make some money. <laughs> so we're hoping. We're hoping. You never know in these things. You never know, but we're.
0: hoping. Uh, I, I have high hopes. I think the, the three geniuses getting together is gonna yeah. is gonna amount to a, a great offer. So thanks again, cool. Chris, for your time, and uh, we'll we'll put all your your references into the show notes and have cool. yourself a great day. Great, thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hope you found today's session valuable. If you have any questions for me or just want to connect please feel free to visit my website, mariasparagis.com. That's N-A-R-I-A-S-P-A-R-A-G-I-S.com. I'd love to hear what you're working on. So drop me a line on any hot button issues your business is experiencing. And remember, don't worry about failure. You only have to be right once.